You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking in Exodus chapter 35. Um, and, and we're going to wrap up our series in Exodus. Okay, we're going we're gonna to wrap things up. So um, if you have your Bibles, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles available. We'd love to get uh, a Bible in your hands if you don't have a Bible at home. But as we were going through, as I was going through this passage, and I was, as I was talking to Stan and, and Todd, both of whom are, are gone today, I, I was telling them, it's kind of like risky business. Like, we're, <laughs> like they're all gone, and you know, like it's, it's just me and a couple of the other guys doing stuff this morning, so you never know what you're going to get. But uh, um, as I was going through this passage... Some of you are like, risky business, I have no idea that reference. It's okay. I realize I'm getting older, and my movie references are less and less um, tangible. But um, do you guys remember, do you guys remember the, the belt? As I, as I was going through this passage, I was thinking about, the, the, there used to be this belt that you could wear around like your midsection. I don't remember the name of it, but it would have these like electrode things in it. You guys remember this? And, and you could set the, the different voltage levels, and it would shock your abs. You remember, like, it was crazy, like Ab Blaster 350 or something like that. Like, and, and the idea was that as it shocked your abs, it would make your abs contract. And, and it would be like you're doing setups when you're not really doing anything. I, I remember the commercials. I remember uh, this, like they had one person going to work, and you could wear this belt under your clothes. And so as you're at work, it would just shock you all day long. You know, it's just like, you know, like, I don't know if you had the voltage up too high. People would be like, are you okay? Yep, just working on my abs. And, and so then, then you'd also, like the one that really that, that just stuck out to me was the guy just sitting on the couch watching TV. And it was like he was doing setups while he wasn't doing anything. And the idea was that, that as it shocks your abs, you would get like a six-pack. And you don't have to do anything. And, and it was so like, I'm like, I, I need this belt. Because I don't, like, I want, I want the outcome. right? I want the benefits. I want the six-pack. Like, I want, I want to look like that. But I really don't like setups. Like, I just don't. I've tried. I've tried every now and then. Like um, I've tried to. I've tried to like doing exercise, and I've like I've even thought like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do setups, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do these. I'm gonna do like ten a day, and that works for like a day, and then it's just over. But I think that there are many people, especially in our culture, who who would say that they they enjoy the same thing. We want the outcome. We want the results, right? But we don't necessarily want to go through what it takes to get there. And I think that's why um, a lot of people in our culture are so far in debt or have, have broken relationships or have these different things. Because we want, we want the, the, the American dream, but we don't want to do the things that it takes to get that. We want to have the thing from the store, but we don't want to go through the, the discipline to, to save up the money. Or we want the good relationship that we see on the screen, right, that we see in the movies. But we don't want to go through the work that it takes to, to get there. And I think that the same is true when it comes to our relationship with God, right? Even if you, even if you don't believe in God, even if you believe, I don't know, there's some like whatever, I, I don't, I don't care what you believe. I believe we are in a, in a very like spiritualistic culture and even people who don't believe in the God of the Bible want to experience something higher than themselves. But it's, it's almost like uh, we want to experience these things as long as it doesn't cost us too much. 
And I think the same is true for those of us who believe in the God of the Bible, those of us who are, who are Christians. We want to experience God. We, we have prayers that say, God, come fill this place. God, come move among us. God, come do what you did in the Old Testament. Come do what you did in the New Testament. Come, come work and move and use us. And we want the outcome, but we don't necessarily want what it takes to get there. And what I see in this passage as we wrap up Exodus What I see is that in order to experience the glory of God, we have to walk in obedience to God, right? Or or I'll say it this way. Here's kind of my big idea. uh, If you want something to walk away with, when we respond to God in obedience, we will experience God's glory, okay? When we respond to God in obedience, we will experience God's glory. God's glory. Let's, let's read through this because we have five chapters and we're going we're gonna, to uh, read some and we're going to skim others. But let's start. Chapter 35, verse 1. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Let's stop there real quick. That, that seems like a weird way to start this kind of wrap up the book, wrap up Moses' account of, of what the, the children of Israel are doing. But we need, to, we need to remember that what they're about to do is they're about to build the tabernacle. They're about to build the dwelling place of God, the place where God's glory can be experienced, the place where, where on all the earth God's manifest glory can be experienced. And, and yet they just went through this time of, of uh, turning away from God. A couple weeks ago, I got to preach on, on uh, the, you know, the, the account of the golden calf where, where Moses is up in the mountains and God is writing on, on tablets of stone what it looks like to be God's people. And he says, you better get down there, Moses, because the people have already turned away. Moses goes down. They're worshiping a golden calf because God's taken too long, right? And then Moses throws the, <laughs> throws the tablets, which I'm like, yeah, okay, I relate to that, you know, and, and he throws the tablets and and, and yet, in the midst of that, God forgives his people, and then Moses goes back up, and God says, okay, if you're going to be with me, if you want to be my people, if you want me to be among you, then that's going to look a certain way, and let's be real clear about that. And that's what the, the last few chapters, that's all that was, and, and, and God is saying, okay, I want to be your God, I want you to be my people, but this is what it looks like, let's be real clear. And, and Moses comes back down, and he shares with the people, and then, and then before they start to build the tabernacle, it's almost like Moses says, all right, let's, let's remember who's in charge. As we start to work, and as we start to do things, and as we start to, as, as we start to be God's people, let's remember who is in charge, let's remember who it is that, that demands our obedience, right? Let's remember that it's not about how we look. It's not about what we can do for God. It's about who God is, and it's about our relationship with him, and that is a heavy, weighty thing. So let's remember that before we get into this, and then he goes on, verse 4, and I want you to kind of buckle up, okay, because we're going to take a big chunk. We're going to go from verse 4 to verse 35, All right, so just giving you a heads up. Verse four, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of a generous heart. Now, I want you to take 
All right, as we're reading through this big chunk, this big chunk of scripture, take note of all the times that it talks about their heart, okay? So again, verse five, take from among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of a generous heart. Let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linens, goat's hair, tanned ram skin, and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its with its grating of bronze, its poles, and its, all its utensils, the basin and its stands, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, and the pegs of the court, and the cords, the finely worked garments for ministering, and the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron and the priests, and the garments of his son for their service as priests. Verse 20, then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the glory and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord and everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skin or goat skin brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord, as the Lord's contribution and everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair, and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. And all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose hearts moved them, to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. We're almost done. Stay with me. Verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones for setting and, in car and carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Oliab. Oh, 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 <laughs> I see even people, when we read through these names, it's like, oh, that's how you say that. I don't know. All right. But <laughs> oh, hold on. I, every time I read it, I mess up. Oliab, the son of Ahishamech, of the tribe of Dan, he has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. All right, let's stop there. That's a, that was a big marathon reading of what's going on. But what I want you to see, a couple things here, is that this is an incredible work of God. This is the climax of the book. They are, they are building what God has set in place many chapters back. 
Long time ago, uh, as, they're, as they're going through the desert, as Moses is up on top of the mountain, and he, God is telling Moses, he's like, this is what it's going to look like to worship me. This is what it's going to look like to follow me. This is, the, this is the tent that I'm going to dwell in, that I'm going to bring my presence to. And now we get to see that they're actually doing it. They're a part of this work of God that is, that is not only for the Israelites, but it's for all the nations of the earth. God wants to, God wants to dwell among one people so that he can show that people his glory, his goodness, so that they can show all peoples his glory and his goodness. That's the plan of God. And this is, this is coming to fulfillment. It's coming to conclusion. And they get to be a part of it. And what we see here is that there are all kinds of different things that are necessary to, to be a part of the work of God. All types of different uh, materials, onyx and, and sapphire and, and oils and gold and bronze and silver and yarn and goatskin and hair. All these different things. It's all a part of it. And I, and I love how it's so interesting how it's like you would think that people with gold would be like, oh, you've got gold. Well, bring it right in. Right? You know, oh, you've got yarn. Oh, you, you, you spun yarn. Oh, that's, that's so nice. You can bring that too, right? But the, the gold, the bronze, the silver. No, everything is needed, right? They bring everything in. And the people who had gold brought gold. And the people who could, who could spin yarn spun yarn. And, and men and women and people who were named and people who were unnamed. Oliab, that, that, you know, that name that I can't even say, it's like, oh, that guy, oh, he's filled with the Spirit. And it's like, this is the first time that anybody, it's, it's shown that people are filled with the Spirit. And, and he's saying, yes, I've set them apart. But guess what? People who are unnamed too, they're all a part of the work of God. I want to bring you all in. And if you have gold, bring gold. And if you have silver, bring silver. And if you have yarn, bring yarn, because it's all a part of it. You all get to be in this. Isn't it so interesting that God allows his people to be a part of the work of God? And, and you, you may say, well, yeah, okay, that seems, that seems simple. But, but don't, you, don't you think it's interesting that God, the same God who, who puts manna on the ground for these people, manna, this bread, right? They're hungry, and so they wake up the next morning, and there's bread on the ground, Right? And so they, they walk out and they're picking up bread. God could have told them, he's like, okay, I want to, I want to dwell among you. And so what I'm going to do is tomorrow morning, as you're going out and picking up your bread, there's also going to be a tabernacle there. He could have done that, right? Like they could have walked out the next morning, they're picking up their bread and then it's like, oh, wow, that's new, right? There's, there's a tabernacle there. Hey, hey everybody, the tabernacle's here. Like it could have been that way. But what God did was in this incredible story that he's writing in this credible thing where he wants to show himself faithful to the nations. He's saying, guess what? I want you to be a part of that. Guess what? The, 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 the way I've gifted you, there's a purpose for it. And there's a reason for it. The gold that I've given you, I have a purpose for that. And as we look at that, I, I think that it's so, it's so, we, we have to realize that the people that brought the gold were no more important than the people who brought the yarn. And as we walk through today, as we go through like what church looks like, and as we walk through what it looks like to be a part of the story that God continues to write, as, as God continues to desire to show himself faithful to people in Columbia and people in Missouri and people in the U.S. and people around the world, I think what we have to understand is that no matter what God has placed in your hands, 
no matter what God has gifted you with, he says, guess what? I have a purpose for that. If we look at church and we say, well, I want to be a part of it. My, my heart is moved and I'm moved to be a part. And I, oh, it's so awesome that this is happening. Yes, I want to be a part of it. But, but does that mean I got to be like Nick Serene, right? Our, our worship leader up here, does that mean I got to be like Nick? Like I got I to gotta learn to play guitar and I got to look all suave and cool like Nick? Like, is that what that means? Because if that's what that means, I, I guess I'm out of luck. Like I can't do that. Or, or does that mean I, I got to look like, Nathan depending, right? Like, like, I don't know if you guys know, we had a leaders meeting. Nathan won an award for uh, hipster Nathan, right? But it's like, does that, does that mean I got to look like Nathan? Right? Does that mean I got to, I got to be a, a college student to be a part of this movement? Does that mean I got to be a, a parent to be a part of this movement? And, and I believe that what we would see here, I, I love in Ephesians, we have Ephesians 2.10. I want to throw it up on the screen. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared good works for you to walk in. The way you have been created. The way you have been gifted. What has God put in your hands? What does it look like for you to be obedient, for you to be a part of the work that God is doing, for you to walk away and say, okay, God, you've, you've given me uh, an ability to sow, so I'm going to do it for your glory. You, you guys, like if I was alive here and, and I'm like, oh, I, I want to be a part of this, so I, I guess I'll sew the curtains for the tabernacle. I think God would be like, no, that's okay, right? I, I don't think I would be able to reflect my glory to the nations if you were the one sewing the curtains, right? <laughs> But, but you have other things. Be obedient with what God has given you and what he's gifted you with. What does it look like for you? And you may say, well, I, I don't know. I'm only this. I only have this to offer. Maybe that's the exact thing that, that God would need, that God would use to reveal his glory to the people around you. What would it look like for you to be obedient with those things, with who God has gifted you with, with what he's gifted you with. Not only do we see that, not only do we see that their, their focus wasn't on, on what they could or couldn't do or, or the size of the project or all these different things, but, but I believe their focus was on the grace and the goodness of God. They gave out of hearts that were stirred for the work of God. I mean, think about all that God has done up to this point. This is the conclusion of, of Exodus. We're, we're, we're at the end. And think about, think about everything that they've done. Like God saved them from slavery. God brought them through the Red Sea, parted the Red Sea, destroyed the army that was wanting to destroy them. God provided manna, as we talked about earlier. God provided manna on the ground. Like, who does that? Like, what? that's not a thing. Like, manna is even the name. It's like, what is this? It's like, I don't know. Let's call it, what is this, right? Like, like that's not a thing. And God provides over and over and over again, even with his presence. He provides his presence for the people, he, he gives forgiveness. Like that whole calf incident that just happened. God says, I forgive you. And I believe all of those different things that we see throughout the book of Exodus, what the people see here is I say, what, what else? What else would I give myself to? My heart is stirred because God has done a work in me. I, I, this goal that I've been given, 
This gold that I walked out of Egypt with, you know, when they walked out of Egypt, God said, ask the Egyptians uh, for gold, ask them for stuff and they'll give it to you. And by doing that, you'll plunder the Egyptians. And so they did. They're like, Hey, can I have some gold? Yes. Here's everything. Right. And they walked out with all of this stuff. Right. And And it's almost like it's almost like if, if we get to be a part of this and, and, you know, Moses is like, all right, bring everything. We're going to build this thing. It's like, oh, I really want to do that. But, you know, the season finale of the biggest losers arm, you know, and I've been, I've been, I've been following up to this point. I just, you know, I can't really miss that. You know? or, or what if it's like, okay, you know, I have gold, but I'm also going to a party like in a week. I was planning on using that to, you know. I, I know, I, I get it, I know that I could give it and it could reflect the glory of God for ages to come to the nations and to the world. But you know, I, I got to really impress my neighbors. So, right? What, what does it look like for you to obey? For you to understand what's been given? For you to, to enter in, right? And, and what we see here is their hearts were stirred by what God has done. We read, we read on in verse chapter 36, verse 1. Bezalel and Eliab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord had commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Eliab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up, there, there it is again, stirred him up, to come to do the work, and they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. For the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Let's stop there. Isn't that so awesome? As we see their hearts are stirred and they're like, oh, what else would I do with this gold? What else would I do with my time? What else would I do with my time? You mean I get to be a part of this? And they were obedient in that. Their hearts were stirred, and, and they brought, and it says they, they brought so much. We read in, in uh, chapter 28, or 38, we read that the people gave more than a ton of gold, three tons of silver, two tons of bronze, not to mention all the spices and the oils and the wood and all these different things. They brought so much that, that they were restrained from bringing more. And that, that word restrained, like it, it has this sense of like, it's almost like, I don't know if Moses was like putting people in headlocks, like, don't you, don't you do that. Don't you put more in that offering box, right? Like, like, don't you give more. But the, the idea they obeyed out of this understanding that it was all from God anyway, right? As I said, none of the gold was theirs to begin with. Their, their freedom wasn't theirs to begin with. Everything was from God. Everything was a gift from God. And so they gave it understanding that it was all given to them to begin with. And I wonder, what does your obedience, what does your obedience say about your understanding of God's generosity to you? 
What does your obedience, what does your generosity say about your understanding of God's generosity? I, I, I remember... Um, Quite a few years ago, I was, uh, this was before marriage, before kids. I was with my family um, and vacation. I don't remember where we were or how, who all was there, but I do remember we were at a restaurant and we were up front ordering. And, and this was back when I was under the umbrella of my parents buying my food for me, right? Back in, the, in those good old days. But I, I remember my dad, you know, he's like, all right, go ahead and order, Luke. And, and my dad, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but, but every time I went out to eat with my dad, he would always eat some of my food. Even when, when I brought my wife home but before we were married, uh, when I think it was the first time we were dating, we went to Country Kitchen and my dad started eating off of her plate. I was like, that, that's okay. You know, but, but I remember, especially with French fries, he would always eat my French fries. And so I wanted to be proactive, all right, and be preemptive in this thing. And so we're up at the register. He's like, go ahead and order Luke. And I was like, okay, first of all, do you want French fries? He's like, no, I don't want any French fries. Like, okay, so you're saying that you do not want French fries. That's what you're telling me. You, Daryl Hedinger, are saying that you do not want French fries. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't want French fries. Okay. And I ordered my food. We go sit down. Guess what happens? We sit down, I start pulling out my food. He's like, Luke, give me a few of those fries. Are you kidding me? Right? It's like, I can't believe that you want some of my French fries. Like, I just went off. And I don't know if like food is a trigger for me or what, what it is, but I just went off and I'm like, you, are you kidding me? I, are you like, do you remember we were standing at the register and I asked you, Daryl Hedinger, do you want French fries? And you said you didn't. I like, I just, and, and, you know, my dad, as I, as I sat there in righteous, like righteous indignation, just put my dad in his place. He's like, I don't want any French fries. Okay. Yeah, that's right. You don't want French fries. My French fries. I remember just being struck with the reality that those fries that I was just having them just going crazy over and that I was now enjoying and all their salty goodness, they were not my fries to begin with. Right? My dad ordered my fries for me. My dad gave me all those french fries. And it was grace upon grace that I got to eat any of them. You see, there are times where, where I feel as though that I am asked by God to do something or walk in obedience. And I respond in the same way. I respond with righteous indignation. I respond with saying, I knew you'd ask me to do that. I knew you'd ask me to give that up. I knew you'd ask me to walk with open hands. Why? Why do you always do this? What does your obedience say about God's authority in your life? What does your obedience say about God's generosity in your life? Because I, I think that if you would respond in the same way with me and the French fries and you're wanting to hold them all to yourself, I wonder if you don't understand the grace of God that has been poured out to you. When we, when we walk and we, when, we, when we hear God, when we, when we feel that movement, when we feel him saying, hey, what about this? What would happen if you stepped out in this? What would happen if you, if you do these things, if you, if you talk to this person? I believe that we oftentimes we view God as this vindictive deity that's just waiting. He's just waiting for us to hand over the, the reins of our life so he can run us in a ditch because we don't really believe that he wants good for his children. And so we respond and we walk 
and, and we hold things back and we say, well, I can't give to the church freely because what if, what if this? I can't, I can't go all in for Jesus because who's going who's gonna to take care of me if I do that? Is that what your obedience says about your understanding about grace? Or does it, or does it show the fact that you understand that you have been given so much? Do you understand that you too have been rescued out of slavery and bondage? Do you understand that, that you too have been provided for even in the midst of your wilderness, no matter what that means? Do you, do you too, do you understand that you have been invited into a work of God to reveal God's glory to the nations and it's better than any story that you could write? It's better than anything that you could do or be a part of or shows that you could watch or people that you can impress. You are invited into revealing God to the nations. And, and lots of times we follow and we respond with closed hands and we say, well, I knew you would ask me that. See, the people responded in understanding. Their obedience reflected their understanding about what God has given them, about the grace that God poured out on them, about their freedom. And then we see in, in the rest of chapter 36 and through chapter 40, we're not going to read all of those different things. I would encourage you to go back and read them. But what we see is, is the people went out and they did exactly what God commanded. They, they did what God commanded according to the way in which God commanded it. Over 16 times throughout the, the next few chapters, over 16 times it says that they did as God commanded, that they did as God commanded Moses. 16 times, over and over again, their obedience reflected the authority of God in their life. Their obedience reflected it. And, and guys, there are so many times, what if, what if like, like just one example, right? One example, uh, if they, they were supposed to have bread on the altar, right? Bread of the presence was supposed to be sitting on the altar in the, in the tabernacle. What if they would have said, you know, this bread, like what, what's the deal with the bread? Like, why do we need bread in here? Let's just, you know, let's just do away with that. Let's just forget about that. First of all, if that were, if that were to be the case, and so many of us, I believe that we obey God in that way where it's like, I mean, really, why, why that? Why, why do you need that? Why do you ask me to do that? Why, why, are you, why are you impressing that on my heart? What if the answer is that God says so? What if that's it? <laughs> and I don't know about you, but in me, it's like, oh, that's not good enough, right? Ugh. What if that's it? Your obedience reflects what you understand about God's authority in your life. What if, what if the only answer that you ever get for doing something that God had you do was because God wanted it done? Is that good enough? See, the way we respond to God in obedience reflects God's authority in our lives. But not only that, I believe that it reflects the fact that we understand that we are not the main character of our story. We understand that us being, being asked to obey reflects the fact that it's not all about us. That's a blow to our ego, isn't it? Well, it's my story. It's my life. What if God's trying to do something more? What if your God asking you to obey, what if that has more to do with the person sitting next to you than it does about you? 
I, I remember I went to, uh, I share this story a lot because it's just, blew my mind. I, I was in Fairway in Iowa and I was walking through Fairway. And when I go to the grocery store, I go for one reason. Like I have one thing. I think I was going for hamburger that day. And it's like, I'm going in to get hamburger and nothing else. Like just getting the hamburger, getting hamburger, getting hamburger. I don't want to see anybody. I want to talk to anybody. Just go in the grocery store and get it and get out. Right. Um, and so I was going in Fairway and I was going to get hamburger and I was walking to the back and I was walking down this aisle and, and there was this guy, this older gentleman standing there. And I felt like God was impressing on my heart that I needed to pray for him. <laughs> I was like, God, I'm not here to pray for anybody. I'm here to get hamburger. Right. I don't know if you know how this works, but I'm not especially not strangers. Right. I'm, I'm here to get hamburger. And so I kept walking down the aisle and I kept feeling like God was saying, pray for this guy. And I, I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do that. And I got to the end of the aisle and I just felt like God was saying, pray for him. I turned around. I looked at the guy. And he was still just standing right in the same spot. And I was like, and walked back to him. I was like, excuse me, sir. This is going to sound crazy, but I feel as though God is asking me to pray for you. Does that sound crazy? Because it sounds crazy to me. He's like, no, actually, that doesn't sound crazy at all. I was like, Really? Okay, well, uh, what can I pray for? And he's like, well, I just spent a couple weeks in the hospital. They just released me. Um, my heart isn't beating the way it should, and they don't know why. Wow. Okay, well, can I, can I pray for you? And I prayed for the guy there, and, and I walked on. And I don't know what happened. I never saw the guy before or since, afterwards. I don't know what happened. But in that moment, I realized that my obedience to God had more to do with that guy in the aisle than it did about me. Even though I responded to God, I'm like, oh, I knew you'd ask me to do something like that. Are you aware that that puts me in, in uncomfortable? Are you aware that, that that's outside of my comfort zone, God? Like, do you even know me? Right? Are you aware that that, that, that guy may, might think I'm crazy? Like, and that's, that's okay with you? Like, I believe that God is saying, look, maybe you should care more about that guy than about you. What if our willingness to obey is more about those around you than it is about you? Are you okay with that? And does your obedience reflect that? Because God desires to reveal himself to your neighbors and your neighborhood and to our city, to our country, and to the nations. We go on from there. The end of 40. We're jumping, we're jumping to the end. End of 40, verse 34. Chapter 40, verse 34 says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Guys, isn't it so awesome as we see all these things finish? Like as we see the things being created, just as God said, the authority of God being, being met out in their obedience... As everything was set in place and, and the, the, the tabernacle, the, the skins were put in place and the poles were put in place and, and the gold was overlaid on the, on the, the Ark of the Covenant and it was, all, it was all set apart for God and it was, it was set in its place. As the last thing was done, the glory of God filled the temple. They experienced God's glory in a way that they had never experienced it before. 
And it, and it came about, it, was, it didn't happen when, when the first thing was put in place. It didn't happen when the second or third or fourth. It happened when everything was done in the way God commanded it. Do we have a desire to see God work in that way? I, I do. I want to experience God more and more tangibly. I want to be, I mean, do you, do you see how they were led by God? When the cloud moved, they moved. When it didn't move, they didn't move. I want that. I so desire that. But the reality is my obedience oftentimes does not reflect my desire. It reflects my desire for comfort. reflects my desire for things. See, as a church, as, as a person, my question is, what does your de- desire, what does your obedience reflect in your desires? Because if we desire to see God work in this way, then it requires obeying God in this way. That's something we see all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament. We see the early church, the disciples, where Jesus says, go back and wait for the comforter to come. And they did what he said. And the Holy Spirit came. And then Peter came out and preached the message. And 3,000 people came to know God. And then we see Peter and James, they go before the Sanhedrin, the authorities who sacrificed Jesus, and and they're like, stop preaching his name. And they're like, we can't stop. We have to obey God. And because they obeyed God, we see the early church just grow, and it became this incredible movement. And people from all different nations and nationalities and places saw God because of the obedience of God's people. See, and the beautiful thing about that is that we have experienced God, that we have experienced the power and the glory of God. And see, I think that the reason oftentimes we don't see the glory of God in tangible ways and aren't led by God in tangible ways is because it's so often easy for us to grow cold in our Christian in our Christianity and and how we walk and how we move. It's easy for us to forget the gospel. The fact that Ephesians, in the beginning of Ephesians, it says, you too were once like everybody else in the world. You were lost and you were chasing after all those things. But God, being rich in mercy, saved you. Do you want to experience God in that way? I think that the first thing we need to do is we need to go back to the gospel. If you've, if you've, if you've known it and followed it for years, or if you're just hearing it for the first time, It's not something we graduate beyond. It's something we have to build our lives on. We need to understand. We need to to obey out of an understanding that we have been given so much. And so much will be required. But it is so good. And nothing else can compare. But also, guys, we need to obey in such a way that we are submitting to the lordship of Jesus in our lives. Does your obedience reflect God's authority? Or do you see God as more of like the man upstairs, you know, the big guy who maybe you're going to have words with when you get up there? It's like, no, you won't. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Do you, do you see him as like an old grandpa who kind of winks at sin? It's like, don't you get more candy? Don't you? Oh, oh well, what are you going to do, Right? Is that the way you view God, or do you view God like Thomas when he experienced the risen Jesus, when he put his fingers in the nail scars of Jesus' hand, and he dropped to his knees and said, my Lord and my God, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Wherever you want me to go, that's where I'm going to go. 
God, let me be a part of this. And the beautiful thing about that is, guys, we have been invited into this story. As we look through Exodus, as we see through Exodus, God is setting apart a people for his glory. God is setting apart a people so that he can show the nations his glory, and that's the same for us today. Why do we be obedient? Because we want to experience God, but not only does it stop with us, but it goes to everyone around us. So let's be a people who are obedient. Let's be a people who who our obedience reflects what we understand about the grace of God. Let's be a people who are obedient because God is good and he has authority in our lives. Let's, Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for how you love us. I praise you for your goodness. I praise you for your grace and your mercy to us, God. I praise you for the fact that we are saved, that we walk in grace, that you forgive our sins. God, I praise you that, uh, that you are the God who, who uses people unnamed and named. God, that you, use, that you use our resources, whatever those resources may be. And God, you use, our, you, you use our talents, whatever those talents may be, because they are from you and you have given them to us for a reason. God, let our obedience reflect that. And God, I pray that you would help us to be a people who experience your glory because we are people who are obedient to you. God, I thank you and I praise you. It's in your name. Amen.